newsflash for you. It's the first day of a new year. Did you know that? Have you heard it 18 times already today? I hope you. I hope you're aware of it. You know, it's kind of. But the, the first day of a new year is kind of like starting a book, or at least turning the ch- the page of the end of a chapter of a book and starting a brand new chapter in a book. And 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 the, the reality is, when you start the new chapter, you have no idea what's ahead in a book. And in life, we have absolutely no idea what's ahead for any of us as we go in to 2012. None of us knows what's going on, except for one person. God Himself knows what's going on. You know what? And I'm so glad that as, as children of God, that we can live with confidence, knowing that God cares for us, knowing that as His children, that He will care for us, no matter what the future holds. And you know, in the time that we live in right now, there's a lot of turmoil. We have absolutely no idea what's ahead, but we know that God takes care of His children. And I'm glad that as we, as His children, walk in obedience, and that's important, we walk in obedience, because I found something, God does not bless us if we walk in disobedience. But as we, as His children, walk in obedience, that His will is to bless His children with every spiritual blessing. And that's a really important fact, to understand that we do have to walk in accordance with His ways to walk in the reality of His blessings. But if we do walk in accordance with ways, it doesn't mean we're perfect. But we're doing our best to walk with Him. That He will bless us with every spiritual blessing. So with that in mind, I really believe that we should face the new year with confidence. We should face the new year with a great sense of anticipation of the good things that God has ahead for us. Things that God has planned. Because God has a plan. And friends, ultimately all that matters, if you boil all life down, all that really matters is what God has in store. What's God's plan? And to know the reality of the fact that God is working out His plan in this world. That His plans that God has are bigger than any country. His plans are bigger than any political leader's influence. They're bigger than any false religion. Sometimes as a church, we worry about those things. Oh, what about radical Islam? God's plans are bigger. What about this political party, you know, whichever side of the aisle you fall on, that person is too powerful and they're doing this and that, I don't like it. God's bigger. God's bigger than any, His plans are bigger than any cultural trends. The church often gets upset and crazy and says, but people are falling away. And you know what? We don't want people to fall away and and cultures do fall away, but we see through the history of time that God takes cultures and, and whole nations and they fall away and He brings that falling away to being a point of bringing people back because He lets them fall into disarray and into judgment and then He brings them back. God's got plans that are bigger than cultural trends. God's got plans that are bigger than beliefs or the apparent lack of beliefs. God's plans are there and God works out His plans. God is in charge of this whole world. And God has a plan, and God is working out His plan. And as we enter the next chapter of this new year, we've got to understand that God is in charge, and He's got a plan. And listen to me something. I want to, in case you say, well, I don't really know if that's true. You're a skeptic. You're a doubter. You say, you don't know, Pastor Mark. Um, I work out my own plans, and I've seen I can do whatever I want. You can. God gives us a free will. But I want to show to you today that God does have a plan and He works it out. And I want to use for you as an example of the fact this is true, the season we just came through. The Christmas season. You see, Christmas reminds us of a lot of stuff. It reminds us of a little baby in a manger. It reminds us of family. We watched a commercial the other day and we both kind of screamed because it said, the real meaning of Christmas. And we're like, what is it? And it was something, I think it said, it's about giving. 
you know, so reminds of that. That's not the real meaning of Christmas. It's about a savior to the world. But Christmas reminds us of something else. It reminds us of the fact that God has a plan. If anything else Christmas should remind you about, it's the fact that God has a plan and that he fulfills his plans and that no one can stop it. Way back over a month ago, Pastor Bruce preached. He talked about King Herod. And how King Herod tried to stop the plan. He said, find me, find where that baby's born and now go in there and kill all the babies. Because he said, I'm going to stop the plan. You know, Herod couldn't stop the plan. The devil himself can't stop the plan. Because God has a plan. And Christmas is the, is the, is the evidence that God has a plan and he works it out. See, for centuries before Christmas, before the first Christmas, God had promised that the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, himself would come into the world. Old Testament prophets had prophesied about his virgin birth. They had prophesied that he'd be born in Bethlehem. They had prophesied that he'd be descendant of Abraham. They prophesied that in his life he'd come out of Egypt. They prophesied that he would be from Galilee, and more specifically, he'd be from Nazareth in Galilee. And we come to Christmas story, we celebrate something. We celebrate the reality that all those prophecies came true in fulfillment of his plan. And you don't even have to be a believer in Christ to validate that. You just have to be a historian to look at it and say, these things were done in advance, said, and then the historical Jesus fulfilled them. And so Jesus, the prophecies came true, and we know the reason they did is because God is fulfilling his plan. Now you say, what's, so what? There is a so what to it. There's a reason why I'm focusing on looking back a week to Christmas this year. It doesn't seem like it's already ancient history. A week ago, I don't get that in life. But it's one week ago and it feels like ancient history. But the reason that I'm focusing on this today is because I want each of you to have a proper perspective as we go into 2012. And this is a perspective that I think we need to have. And it's this, that God's plan is being worked out. And then in particularly... According to his plan, this may well be the year that Jesus returns the second time. You know, he might really come back in 2012. You say, oh, Pastor Mark, you've been drinking the Kool-Aid. You're listening to all them people talking about the 2012 Mayan calendar. Jesus might come back. It has nothing to do with the Mayan calendar. I, don't have, I take zero stock, put zero stock in the Mayan calendar. But I put all my stock in the Word of God. And the reality that God has a plan. And Scripture shows over and over that God works out His plan. You see, this is the plan that God has. God made a promise to mankind. He made a promise to you and me. And this was a simple promise He made. It's the, People get all crazy and all this end time stuff. But really it's wrapped up into in a couple little words of the promise of God. And the promise is this. Jesus is coming back. That's the promise wrapped up in a, in a nutshell. And you know what? People argue about the details of it, and I don't claim for a minute to understand the details. And people who tell me they got all the details figured out, scare me. Because they make their flip charts, and every five years they got to change their flip charts. So I don't know exactly the details. We know some broad parameters of it. But here's the one thing we know for certain about the promise of God. It's that Jesus is coming back. You know, He came the first time to, to be born as a baby in a manger, to live and to die, and to become the Savior of the world, and we just celebrated that at Christmas. But He's coming back a second time, according to Scripture, a final time as a judge, as a judge against sinful man. You know, in the final scene 
played out in Jesus' life on earth. We find that Jesus is with his followers in Bethany. And he just gets done blessing them. And after he's blessing them, it says, and he is received up into the sky. You ever been to a passion play? You ever been to one of the reenactments of a passion play? Suzanne and I on our, on our, wet, on our honeymoon went to whoever honeymooned in, in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. That's what we did. Because we went to check out the college I was transferring to. And we went and saw the Passion Play. And in the Passion Play, they show this scene. And Jesus ascends up into the clouds, and we call it the Ascension. He ascends up into the clouds, into the sky, and He's received into the clouds, and He disappears. But Scripture doesn't just say that happens. Scripture says that as He arose, it says two angels appear. It says men in white appear. And they spoke a promise to the people who were there. And this is what they said. They said, this Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. They said he might be going up now, but he's coming down later. They promised that Jesus would return to this earth. And you know what? That wasn't a new promise. That wasn't something that, that, those, two, that those two angels declared and no one had ever thought of before. Matter of fact, Jesus himself, while he, had, while he walked the earth and, and preached, promised that he was going up to heaven, he was going to leave and he would come back. Grab your Bible if you would with me this morning. Turn to the Gospel of John. We've been reading three sections of Scripture this morning and they're all kind of lengthy and I'm doing that on purpose. Because I want the Word of God simply to minister to you today. Because there's one thing that we know. This is eternal and perfect and I am not eternal and flawed. Right? And everybody said amen. amen. Right, okay. I'm alright with that. But I'm very alright with the fact that this is God's Word. And God's Word is what should speak to our hearts. So John, look what Jesus had to say in John chapter in John 14, the first four verses. Maybe the most encouraging words in all the Bible for believers living on this side of the ascension. Waiting for a second coming. This period of time, the time gap that you and I live in right now. Maybe the most important, the most encouraging words that ever were spoken in all of human history are in these first four, four verses of the Gospel of John. Jesus speaking to his disciples, to any follower of Christ, he says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. You ever have a troubled heart? I do. Come on, I can lie about it and say, oh, I walk in faith all the time. Baloney, a lot of times I don't. I look at finances, I look at situations. I walk in on the first Sunday of the year and I go, nobody's in church. (laughs) Where are they? (laughs) Maybe they all got raptured, I'm not sure. But we're left behind. I don't think so. But we have things that trouble us. Jesus says, to encourage us, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about heaven. Jesus said he's coming back to take his followers to heaven with him. He says, I'm going away. And while I'm gone, I'm going to prepare a place. Anybody, I think I've asked you before, anybody here, the old old, uh, uh, singer Keith Green? 
Keith Green used to sing this song about, he said, God made the heaven and said, made all the heaven and earth in seven days, or six days, and he rested on the seventh. And he said, but he's been for 2,000 years preparing a place. And he's basically saying, what's heaven going to be like? He, Jesus said, I went away to prepare a place for you. It's been 2,000 years now. Church, we can bank on something. Jesus said he's coming back. And if Jesus said he's coming back, and the angels and the ascension said he's coming back, we can know something, that God keeps his promises. He promised that Jesus would come the first time. And did he do that? He did. Otherwise, why would you celebrate Christmas? He promised that he would come the first time, and he did. And based on that reality, we can bank on the fact that he will keep his promise to come back a second time. You see, his first coming validates his second. If you want to believe, if you say, I got a problem believing he's coming back again, well, then you ought to have a problem with Christmas that he came back, that he came the first time. If you believe even just the historical Jesus, you have to believe he's coming back. Because all those prophecies, all those writings said he's going to come back and he did. Or he'd come the first time and he did. And now all these things say, He's going to come back. And we can bank on the fact if he didn't lie the first time, he didn't, he's not going to lie the second time. So today, let's think about this reality that Jesus is going to return. Let's think about the second coming. There's just two things I want us to think about in relationship to it. Two things that I think are the, four, the first thing that, that need to come to our mind when we think about the fact that Jesus is going to return. And I think the first thing is this. When will it be? Get your pen and paper? I'm going to tell you. Really? Ready? Get ready to write it down? I got a red one. Write it down. It's going to be important. You know when it's going to be? You know when Jesus is going to return? We don't know. That's your answer. We don't know. The disciples themselves asked Jesus this question, and he said for them that it wasn't for them to know. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that neither himself nor the angels know when he will return. Only God the Father knows for certain. So we don't know precisely when he will return. We know he's more likely to return today than yesterday because yesterday's gone. And so it's more likely to happen today. But this we do know about his return for sure. That it will be in his perfect time and that it could be today. That we know for sure from Scripture. That there's nothing saying it couldn't be today. Matter of fact, all of Scripture says get ready because it might be today. And that it will be in His perfect time. But you see, people have always and will always wrestle with that. You know what they'll say? Well, you know what? He's not really coming back anytime soon. Because I look around, you know, I know old brother so-and-so used to say Jesus is going to return before I die and he died and Jesus didn't come back. So I'll probably die and Jesus won't come back. Well, that might happen. But it might not. Because people have always said it just keeps on going the way it always has been. And he's not going to come back anytime soon. But you know what? That's not a new thought. You see, a lack of concern or a lack of reality of the second coming of Christ has kind of plagued the church from its inception. Grab your Bibles again. Turn to the book of of 2 Peter with me. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Peter wrote about this idea of people saying, he's not really coming back. Second Peter is way near the end of your Bible. Near the end, almost to the end. Second Peter. Listen to this. The third chapter. This is what Peter said 2,000 years ago about people who say, yeah, yeah, he's not really coming back. 
starting in verse 3 of chapter 3. It says, Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mockings, following after their own lusts. (laughs) I think that's the world we live in today. People all going after their own things and mocking the things of God. You know, and they think they're, they think they're smart. But the reality is, this, the message of the second coming says, you only think you're smart for so long until Jesus finally comes back and really puts things in order. Chapter, verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice... That by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water to which the world at that beginning was destroyed being flooded with water. But by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will be like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away in a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What's Peter say here to all the mockers, to all the people who say, you know what, you've been saying he's coming back and for them, that time he was saying for maybe a couple decades he's coming back. And he's not coming back. That's not going to happen. He says, listen. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back at a time when God has determined, and this is the main point he makes in this text. He says God's not being slow about his return, as he says, as some people count slowness, but rather he is being slow in our concept about sending Jesus back for a reason. He says to God, it's not slow. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. He says just a blink of an eye from God. But he's being slow for a reason, to give people a chance to repent. Now, I I can't say this is scripture, what I'm going to say next, but I think it makes perfect sense to me. That statistics say that by the year 2012, and this was published years ago, by the year 2012, 95% of all the human beings who have ever been born and lived on the planet Earth will be alive at one time. You see, the world's population keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And so imagine it, at the year 2012, we have about 7 billion people on the planet That if you take from the beginning of humanity, only 5% of all the people who were ever born in the history of humanity were alive before this time. Lived and died, lived and died, lived and died for thousands of years. That only makes up 5% of all the people who've ever lived in in all the time of man. But in the year 2012, 95% of all the people are coming, will be on earth at one time. It says God's being slow for a reason. He's being slow to give humanity the time to repent. Doesn't it make sense to you that that the world is getting full? You know, I always get a kick out of out of hyper environmentalists, and I think Christians should be great environmentalists. But hyper environmentalists who can't seem to understand why the natural resources are disappearing. 
They'll say, well, 50 years ago. Well, 50 years ago, there weren't 7 billion people on the planet. Of course they're disappearing. We're using up the world. It can only sustain so many people. And isn't it in God's plan that all these people are alive at one time? And he's giving them time to repent. He said, I'm not being slow. It's been 2,000 years. He said, I'm doing it because I want all these people to have a chance to turn to him for salvation. Friends, he's being gracious in waiting. He's waiting until the perfect time. God is giving you and me time to reach our friends and our families with the gospel. He's giving us time to explain it. He's giving us time to live it in front of them. So they say, you know what? This isn't a fad you're going through. This is something really real. So my family to deal with. Mark, you are a bum and a drunk and a womanizer and every other bunch of junk in the world that you could have living in a in the in the you know being born in Ozaki County to a to a construction worker, living a normal lost life. And all of a sudden, one day Jesus changes my life. And it took people years to say, "Yeah, it's just a fad." People said, "You're in a cult." I said, "No, I've been raised in one church organization." And and I said, as I study, I'm just simply living out what this guy said was true 600 years ago came to find out I was just living what Christians have lived forever since, since the coming of Christ and friends you know what your family's watching you God's giving them time to say this isn't some fad this isn't some, some, some thing you're going through you're not in some cult this is just orthodox Christianity that you're living he's giving you time to be able to say to people around you Jesus is really real and he's really coming back and that we can repent church it's it's time in this, I think in the, in the scope of God's plan for the most serious things in our lives to be living godly lives before the Lord and investing the bulk of our energy into leading people to Jesus as their Savior. I think that needs to be more important to us than, than our work. It needs to be more important than our vacations. It needs to be more important than our recreation because Jesus is graciously waiting. But He is coming back. That's the promise of the scriptures. So when will he return? We don't know. But we do know that his return is more likely this year than last year because he didn't come back last year. And there's a date out here somewhere that God has fixed. And he said to Jesus, you don't even know it. The angels don't even know it, but I fixed the date. It makes sense to me as the world's getting full. And 95% of all the people who've ever lived have been alive at one time in this year. That he's saying, man, I've been waiting for this moment. I don't know if it'll be 2012, but it might be. We don't know when exactly. But we do know that nothing is standing in the way of his return. And this may well be the year if this is his perfect time. So the second thing we need to think about in light of that is this. If that reality is real, and I believe it is, that this may be the year, then how should knowing this affect us? What should our response be to knowing that Jesus is returning at any time and it just might be this year? It might not be, but it just might be in 2012. What should it, what should, how should it affect us? I think the first way it should affect us is it should affect our attitudes. I think our attitudes should either be ones of joy or an attitude of fear. It should be an attitude of joy if Jesus is your Lord and Savior because he says he's coming back to get you one of these days. That's what we read in John. We call it the blessed hope. The fact that Jesus is coming back for his people. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Friends, that ought to make you happy. That ought to make you happy. One of these days, we get to leave this world of sin and pain, and we get to go in heaven forever. That's our blessed hope. There's joy in knowing that this may be the day. But it's not just joy for everybody. It shouldn't be joy. It shouldn't be good news for everybody. Because the reality that Christ is coming back should instill fear in those who don't know Jesus. It really should. Because Scripture tells us that Jesus is coming back to judge mankind one of these days. That it's heaven or hell depending upon the choice of either humbling oneself and calling out to Jesus for forgiveness of sins or to ignore that call from God and go your own way and live where you're your own God. And you know one thing bad about our culture? I love the American culture. I've lived in other cultures. I love American culture. But you know one of the things that's hard about American culture? American culture promotes everything that, that kind of you're your own God. You do your own thing. Very highly independent. You know what? There's a day when that doesn't work anymore. When you stand before the Lord. You know, I don't say that with the slightest amount of joy in my heart. Because this is the saddest reality in the world. The reality that one day humanity will be judged. And God, he says, he does it this way. He's like separating sheep from goats. He's gonna, he said he'll put one group on one side and one group on the other. He said one gets heaven, one gets hell. There's nothing glorious and nothing wonderful and nothing to be excited about for that day. It's something that should break your heart. There's a coming day of judgment. But it's a reality. So knowing that Jesus is coming should affect our attitude, either joy or fear, and it should also affect our actions. You know what? You know, it should affect our actions. We should be ready. One more section of Scripture and we're done. Turn your Bible to the book of Matthew. Matthew 24, the main section that Jesus teaches about a second coming. Talks about how our actions should be affected by living in the reality of a second coming. We'll start kind of in the middle of his teaching here. Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. It says, But of that day and hour no one knows, talking about the coming of the, coming of the Lord, that's what it talks about in the verses before. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking. They were marrying and they were giving in marriage. And I, we could add here from my life, they were hunting and they were fishing and they were going to work and they were, you know, building projects in the garage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. That if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert. And would would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. Who then is the faithful and the sensible slave, whom the Master put in charge of His household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom the Master finds so doing when He comes. Truly I say to you that He will put Him in charge of all His possessions. But if there 
if, if that evil slave, it, but if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and to eat and to drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on that day when he does not expect him in an hour when he does not know and will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, be ready. He says this about being ready. He says he's going to return in a time when you do not think he will. It's interesting the way he says that. He doesn't say he'll return in a time when you're just not expecting it. He says he'll return in a time when you don't think he's going to come. And what's that mean for us then? I think it simply means this. To live in this reality means we should live like we may meet Jesus today. Because we might. So we'd be ready. How are you ready? You're in a right relationship with God. You ask yourself the question, is Jesus really the Savior and Lord of your life? Do you know Jesus or you just have empty religion? Being ready is knowing Jesus as Savior. But that's not all. It's also living holy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us to be holy as God is holy. Being ready is about being holy. Being ready is about partnering with the Spirit in the process of being transformed from a life dominated by sin to a life dominated by the Holy Spirit. That's what holiness is all about. It's becoming more like Jesus every day of your life. It's laying aside the old and putting on the new. It's not making excuses for sin. That when, when, you, when, they, when they are become aware in your life, you don't make an excuse for it. Instead, you deal with it. It's coming. It's conquering sin. Because of a passion to be holy and be ready. And it's one more thing. It's not only knowing Christ. It's not only um, living holy. But it's also being busy doing God's work. It's about recognizing, according to the scripture we just read, that all of us are God's servants. And he's given us all a task to do. It's understanding that God has given each and every one of us natural gifts and spiritual gifts. When we come to Christ, He gives us gifts of the Spirit. And being ready is about using those gifts for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Friends, as you examine 2011, and I hope you do, you take time to look back over 2011, and you look towards 2012, ask yourself, how have you been using His gifts for His glory and His good? And if you are having a hard time seeing how you are doing that, then it's time to figure out how God wants to work through you in 2012 and make things different. I really wondered how I could say that. I wanted to say, then you need to come and talk to the pastor. Baloney. He's your Savior. You need to say to God, God, what you know what gifts you gave me. What do you want me to do with what you've given me in this year? And he says it's like a master coming and examining a servant that he left on his own for a while. Figure out what God has for you. I'll help you but it's between you and God. Being ready is about being engaged in doing what has He has equipped you to do so that when He comes back and His servants give an account for what they have done with what, that, what He has given them, He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. That's what being ready is all about. Church, I honestly believe that God has wonderful things ahead of us for us in 2012. That he wants to bless you as you live in the reality of his return. 
He wants to bless you as you grow in holiness and engage in eternal work. That's what I believe God's plan is for us. Is he going to come back this year? I don't know. But you know what we should do? We should be busy about his work. So if he does, we're not taken off guard. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray, just basically pray in just a moment that God will just help us to evaluate 2011 and to advance into 2012. And I want to say this, that if you are ready to turn your life to Christ and you've not done that, this is the time to do it. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you a time to pray and Pastor Bruce and myself are going to be up in the front of the sanctuary. And if you say, I've not given my life to Christ and I want to, you come and talk to either one of us and we'll talk with you and pray with you about it. But for everybody else, you know what I want to give you a chance to do just for a few moments, as long as you feel necessary, take some time and pray. Ask the Lord to show you what He wants you to do in 2012. Ask Him if there's things from, from the past that you want He wants gone. And just make a covenant with God for God to take those things away. So Heavenly Father, I thank You. I thank You, Lord, that as we are gathered in this place today, facing a brand new year, that Lord, as we walk in obedience to You, we can be confident in the fact that You have blessings laying ahead for us. And God, we won't even ask if this is the time.